I wonder what you would see as our most fundamental need as human beings. Maslow's hierarchy is a famous attempt in, um, in social science to map out the different levels of need that we have. It's represented as a pyramid usually. At the bottom, there are the most basic physiological needs, food, water, that sort of thing. And then as you move up, safety, security, um, then moving up, things that are a bit less immediate, emotional and social needs. And then as you get towards the top, things that are more complicated, um, things like esteem and self-actualization. And you can see how that makes sense. There are some needs that are really fundamental and then others that are obviously nice, but a bit less pressing. And for um, modern life, Somebody has humorously added a layer on the bottom, something that is even more fundamental, even than food and water, which is Wi-Fi or phone signal. Uh, it's impossible to function without that now. Uh, well, in our, uh, our passage this morning, we find the Lord Jesus speaking about something that really is more important even than our most basic physical needs. It's not Wi-Fi, it's forgiveness. And it comes through the words of a message. We started last week in Mark, and what we saw at the beginning in the opening section was like um, the spotlights in a theater all shining on the central figure of Jesus. Three voices speak, the voice of the Old Testament scriptures first, pointing to Jesus as the one who would come, and the voice of John the Baptist announcing the arrival of the Lord, and then the voice of God the Father as Jesus is baptized, and God himself speaks, saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. These three voices speak, it's all about Jesus. That's what we saw last week from Mark. Being a Christian, it's not about the life you live, it's not about what you choose to do on a Sunday morning, it's about what you make of Jesus. Who do you think he is? Do you trust him? Will you follow him in your life? Do we have these three voices focusing in on Jesus? And then in verse 14, the man himself speaks. Now, after John was arrested, um, Jesus um, came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark is showing us from this first entry of Jesus, that he is a man with a message. As the gospel goes on, that is how he operates. We'll see that he, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, a public speaker. And in this passage, there are three things that Mark wants us to see about this message of Jesus. Three things that we're going to work through together this morning. First, Mark wants us to see the power of of Jesus' message, the power of Jesus' message. Really, it, we can see that throughout the passage that Fizz read for us, but it, it does come particularly strongly in the first section from verses 16 to 28. Let me pull out three things. First, in the first paragraph there from verse 16, we see how Jesus' message has the power to change people's lives completely as he calls them to himself. Simon and Andrew and James and John, these four guys were fishing. It was an ordinary day at work for them until Jesus spoke. 
and everything changed. Notice, if you look down, the words that Mark repeats. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their father and followed him. The power of Jesus in the life of a human being. In the next section, from verse 21, the second thing, we see the power of Jesus' message to overcome evil. Jesus had been in a synagogue, and he's confronted by a man who is described as having an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's not a primitive understanding of mental illness or anything like that. That, That's often said about the Gospels. These first century writers had an awareness of mental illness. They have other ways of speaking about that. Perhaps the best way of of explaining this is to say that as in the life, the ministry of Jesus in public, the spiritual forces of good were more publicly seen and visible, manifested, so also at that time it's as if the, the spiritual forces of evil also stepped out of the shadows to be a bit more visible. Because there are spiritual forces of evil, and they had gripped this man, But look down at verse 25. All Jesus has to do is say the word and this evil spirit is ordered out of the man. It happens. And then alongside this healing, other healings that Mark records, the third thing that shows us the power of his message in this section is the reaction of the crowds. Have a look down, please, at verse 27. The people, they're all amazed They question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere. Now, I I don't think I've ever been part of a genuine public sensation like this, when there's something or someone that everyone is talking about and everyone is going out to see. But that's what Jesus is like. It's like Hogmanay on the hills of the Holy Land. It's like Black Friday has come to Galilee. The power of Jesus' message. What are we to learn from this? Well, first, I think it helps us to understand what Jesus meant in those opening words that he's quoted as speaking. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. That was what God's people had been promised by God from long ago, a a realm of perfect security and safety and peace, justice, righteousness. That's what God has promised. And it was as if, as Jesus preached, a little bit of that was breaking in. More than 100 million people went online before the latest Star Wars film was released to watch the trailer. Sure, they would have wanted the full thing, they couldn't have it yet, But watching the trailer would give them just a little foretaste of what it would be like. And that's sort of what we have here in the life and the ministry of Jesus. As evil is pushed back and people's lives are restored and changed, healed. His teaching, his wisdom making sense of life. It's not the full thing, but it is a little foretaste of the kingdom of God that will one day fully come. And so for us, if this restoration, this power for restoration, if it's what you long for in your life, or if it's what you see is needed in the world around you, we need to understand that the kingdom comes 
through the power of Jesus' message. That's where the power is. It's in his message. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, um, I wonder what you think you need to experience some of the power of Jesus in your life. You have it in your hands. It's his message. Or for those of us who are Christians, it is, we, we want to have an impact, but it's easy to feel powerless, isn't it? We're not quite sure if we have it within us to have the kind of impact that we long to have on the people around us or in society around us. Well, Mark is showing us that it, it's not in us, the power. It's not in our abilities, our position in society, but it is in the preaching of Jesus if we will pass that on. Now, it's not that we'll see necessarily such visible spiritual progress as was seen in Jesus' times. However, as many Christians as there are in the world now, that is as many times as God has been prepared to prove still the power of Jesus' message to turn a person's life upside down. Maybe as we embark on the gospel project as a church, maybe we're tempted to think, well, will it really accomplish anything? Mark is reassuring us, reminding us of the power of Jesus' message. That's the first thing he wants us to see. But it leads on to a problem. Because everywhere Jesus was going, this foretaste of the kingdom, the crowds were coming in from everywhere, everywhere. And soon he was mobbed. He couldn't, he couldn't even move around because the crowds were too big. People looking for healing. People looking for help. People, I guess, often who had heard what he said, but they were looking for healing and help in that more physical way. And we can understand that, can't we? Um, even, even for us in an era of advanced hospitals and pharmaceuticals, people would be falling over themselves to get to a man who could heal, who could sort out all our problems. And so how much more for them? Here is someone who can take away my pain, who can give me back my independence, my ability to work. Everyone is after him. But look down at verse 35. Rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a remote place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. Second thing Mark wants us to see in this passage is the priority of Jesus' message. The priority. He will not allow himself to be known only or even primarily as a healer, a miracle worker. He has come to preach. And so he moves on. Now just think for a moment about what this priority would have meant for real individuals there must have been people who had traveled a long way with help to get there so that they could be healed by Jesus. And it's not easy moving through a big crowd, having to queue and wait and fight your way through. And eventually you're getting nearer and nearer, but evening falls and then it's nighttime. You think, it's okay, I'm close enough now. I'm sure in the morning I'll get to see him. I'm sure in the morning he will help me. I'll, I'll receive the healing I came for. You're excited, you go to sleep, you wake up, and he's gone. 
He's moved on. He's gone to one of the other towns, leaving you with your condition. He's gone so that he could preach. It's really clear from Mark's account that Jesus is not lacking in compassion. The episode with the leper from verse 40, I think, is meant to make that point to us. It says that Jesus was moved with pity as he reaches out his hand to touch this man, this untouchable man, who probably hadn't felt the warmth of human touch for some time. And Jesus reaches out his hand and says, I will be clean. He is not lacking in compassion. And so how can we make sense of this priority? The answer Mark is leading us towards is that Jesus has something in his sights that is even more important than physical healing. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus has something in his sights that is even more important than a person being able to walk again, or people being able to see again, someone being freed from chronic pain, giving somebody more years with their family. What could be more important than things like this? Well, the end of the passage shows us that it's forgiveness. That is what matters more, and that is what matters more in the life of an individual, even than these most weighty things. That's the focus of Jesus' message. The thing that matters most is to be forgiven by God, to be made right with him, be brought back into friendship with him. Why? Because forgiveness lasts forever. And forgiveness also underwrites what is left of this life. And all the most, even the most painful circumstances underwrites everything with the hope of better things to come. That's what we'll see in 2, 1 to 12. But for now, though, let's just note again the priority of Jesus' message. Uh, it seems to me that it's easy for us to underestimate the power of words. We say things like, Actions speak louder than words. Don't want to be all talk. Talk is cheap. And it's easy for that sort of sentiment to filter over into our Christian thinking. Surely we have more to give people than a message. How impractical. Surely Christians should be at the head of more active initiatives, addressing more immediate and pressing needs, feeding the sick. Sorry, feeding the needy, healing the sick, standing up for the oppressed. We may not have the miraculous power of Jesus, but we can harness our effort, our money, our advocacy to address more pressing needs like that. Well, it's right that Christians have been at the forefront of addressing those sorts of needs, and it's, it's right that we still are. But let's not underestimate the power of words. Jesus thought it was a fair decision to move on from those crowds so that he could preach to more people, preach about forgiveness and the kingdom of God. That was his priority. And as in every other area, we need to follow him in this, as a church and as individuals. What will we spend our time pursuing? What will we spend our money on? And personally, I don't know about you, but because I often find it hard to speak to others about the message of Jesus, 
I can retreat from that and instead start to focus on more practical things, how I live. You know, if I'm a good neighbor, a generous friend, maybe that'll be enough. But it's not enough. Actions don't speak louder than words. They don't speak at all. That's the point. Of course, actions can support what we say, or they can undermine it. But they are unable to replace the priority of this message. So, Mark is showing us the power of Jesus' message, the priority of his message, and then finally, the focus of that message, which is to say that it is all about the forgiveness of sins. Have a look, please, at the start of chapter 2. Mark records an incident for us, and the way he does it, it we can just imagine it. We can, just, uh, we can visualize it. There's a house full of people, packed out. Jesus, verse 2, he's been preaching there. And some men are trying to get in. They've brought their friend who's paralyzed, and they've heard the things about Jesus, and they're hoping that if they can bring their friend, then maybe Jesus will be able to help him. But it's packed. They can't even get in the door but they will not be put off. And we can understand that. Imagine if their friend could walk again. Imagine the impact that would have in his life, their life, more more widely in his community. We can understand that urge to get there and to see Jesus. And so they undertake a little bit of amateur engineering. They make a hole in the ceiling of the flat roof in the Middle Eastern architecture, and they lower him down. And yes, we have reached him. Their friend now lies in front of Jesus, and surely this is it. He's going to help him. He's going to heal him. And Jesus looks down and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's not what they came for, is it? But it is what this man needed, even more than to be able to walk again. Because the, the biggest problem in any of our lives is not our circumstances, It's not our sicknesses, it's our sins. Now, it's really important that um, as we hear this from the Bible, from me, it's not because the Bible is underestimating how hard life can be and how hard, how painful the problems can be that press in upon us in life. Alongside Mark in the mornings, in the evenings, we're looking at the book of Job, and that is a book that speaks very clearly about how miserable life can be. That's something that God is aware of in his word. Job lost his children, and Job lost his property and his health. And his response to that, we'll see it this evening in the passage, is appropriately bleak. He says he wishes he'd never been born, and given that he has been born, he longs for death. The Bible understands how hard life can be, and yet it still says to us, that being forgiven is the most important issue in any person's life. It's also important as we hear the words of Jesus to this man, your sins are forgiven. He's not making a link between this man's sins and this man's sickness, his paralysis. That's another lesson from the book of Job, that it doesn't work like that. Sin and suffering are not linked in that straightforward way. In the, in the life of an individual. And yet they are linked. 
sin and suffering, not, not within the lives of an individual, but at the level of all of creation, all of humanity. We suffer because there is sin. Humanity has turned away from God. That was true at the beginning. It's still true of us now. And that's why this world is out of joint. And that's why forgiveness is the fundamental need. Even all the people who Jesus had made better, that wasn't an ultimate solution to their problems. Those people would still live in a fallen world and sicken and age and weaken and die. That's our human condition. But what Jesus does for this man in forgiving him goes right down into the bedrock of what he needs as a human being. Being forgiven means having peace with God, both now and for eternity. Being forgiven means that in our sufferings, we know that God is with us and for us. And being forgiven means we know that after our sufferings, we have the hope of being with God in perfect peace. This passage is saying Forgiveness is our greatest need. Have you found that yet in Jesus? Have you trusted him for that? Often it's hard to understand. What is faith? What does it mean to trust Jesus? Well, these men, they show us brilliantly what it means to trust Jesus. They believe that he could help them. And so they went and asked him. I wonder if you've ever done that. Believe that Jesus is able to forgive you and asked him. Notice how free forgiveness is here. Uh, the paralyzed man doesn't have to clean his act up. He doesn't have to go to church or get baptized. Seeing his faith, Jesus was able to say to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's an amazing thought that for us in this room, we can sit here and if we trust in Jesus... We can know, it's a huge claim, we can know that our most fundamental need in life has been met. Forgiveness, just like that. Well, actually, it's not as simple as just like that. About a a third of Mark's gospel is taken up with the account of the crucifixion of Jesus and the price that he paid in order to underwrite these words Your sins are forgiven. Sin just can't be forgotten about. God won't sweep it under the carpet. Justice will be done. And so on the cross, Jesus faced the just punishment for sins. What we deserved, he faced it so that he could say to this man and say to us, your sins are forgiven. These are not cheap words as Jesus speaks them here. Now, of course, the um, Pharisees, They didn't like what was going on. They didn't like what they were hearing. They rightly point out that only God can forgive sins. And so to show them his authority, his identity, Jesus then heals the man who'd been let down in in front of him. He he, he does it. He, he, He performs that visible miracle in order to validate the invisible miracle of having just forgiven him. Does that make sense? He, he, he performs the visible miracle 
of healing the man's body to prove the invisible miracle of having forgiven him. He's saying to the Pharisees, I do have the authority to forgive. I am the son of man, the one with authority from God, the one who will one day uh, be crucified. I have the authority to forgive. Which is where this passage leaves us. It leaves us, as we hear the words of Jesus here, asking three questions. First, do I really need to be forgiven? For some of us here, that'll be the thing you need to wrestle through off the back of this passage. Do I really need to be forgiven? need to think about this most fundamental need that Jesus is identifying. Is he right? Is that what you need for life now, for eternity? Do I really need to be forgiven for the way I've treated other people? Much, much more than that for the way we've treated God. Do I really need to be forgiven? Next question. Perhaps for some of us, the question is more, do I really believe that in forgiving me, Jesus has already met the first and greatest need in my life? Even as Christians, so many needs press in upon us, don't they? And because this is a church family, I can look out and I know some of the needs that some of you are facing. And I know how real and how hard they are. But this passage is saying that if we've put our trust in Jesus, then even underneath all that, we can know we've been forgiven, we are right with God, and our most fundamental need has been met. And it means that not necessarily with happiness, it doesn't blow our problems away, but as, as we come to communion and remember, we can remember that underneath our feet is the solid rock of Jesus' forgiveness, that he has done that for us. And that is something that changes our perspective now, it does, and will change our futures forever. Do I really believe that in forgiving me, Jesus has already met my greatest need? And then the third question for all of us, do we really see this as the greatest need of all people? As we head off into the week, whatever that holds for you, lectures, work, seeing your family, do we really believe that this is the fundamental need of all people, to be forgiven, and that that comes through hearing the message of Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the offer of forgiveness that we hear on the lips of the Lord Jesus and for the price he paid to underwrite that. Lord, we pray that this truth of forgiveness would be written very deeply on our hearts, that we would know that through faith we have peace with you. And Lord, please would this message also be on our lips as we seek to serve others by sharing with them this most wonderful offer. In Jesus' name, amen.